Now to put into context again we're discussing the first step right view on the Noble Eightfold Path which is the fourth Noble Truth and the four Noble Truths are one of the mind contents which we can become aware of and I have already described the first two which are especially important to become aware of Dukkha and its, its cause should we of course be able to become aware of the third one would be much better but um, anybody remember what the third one is? okay <laughs> <laughs> so now we have also the, the fourth noble truth namely the noble eightfold path and I have mentioned the right effort on that and now the right view I won't go through all eight of them because as I already explained the last three well the last two mindfulness and concentration we've already talked about now right view means insight and insight has steps everything is gradual it's not very common it's, it is possible but it's not very common that one gains complete in, insight just in one moment it's usually much more common that one gains insight a little and then another one so slowly little by little it then becomes the fullness of it this is a common thing for ordinary people so we have to make sure that we know the steps because if we don't we can first of all overlook what we are experiencing and not recognize the fact that it is a very important step and also become fearful and not go on so to recapitulate first thing mind and body have distinction and are two and not one and if you think that's not important you haven't noticed it it's extremely important it sounds like nothing at all but it's very important and the next one arising and ceasing everything is coming and going and then cause and condition for mind and body now cause and condition for mind and body can of course have the um, also the context of seeing cause and condition for things that are outside of ourselves but it usually has the greatest impact when we see it in ourselves and that's where it eventually has to begin and end of course with this particular mind and body so then having seen that we become aware of the fact and that is a meditative process everything transforms and because it does it, it is destroyed because that what transformed is transformed no longer exists it's destroyed it disintegrates it dissolves it's gone now if that is happening with something we don't like anyway that's okay it's fine no problem but if it happens with that which we like it becomes a problem for instance with pleasant feelings or when the understanding in the mind arises that this what we call me not only arises but ceases and completely disappears and that becomes a problem because that's not what we want we want me to be happy ever after and we can't have it so things are not exactly the way we want them 
and because things are never the way we want them we try to fiddle them manipulate them in our mind we can't do it actually but in our mind fix them so that they look as if they were the way we want them until we are faced with the actuality of death of decay of real sickness terminal illness or losing whatever it is that we were hanging on to for dear life or losing it during the meditation practice it's disappearing when we're faced with that the way it really is then we either have to be able to see it accept it go through it or terror arises and terror is one step on the inside path and that first step where many people especially those that don't have a teacher and there are those there are many even though they might come to a meditation course they still don't have a teacher because they don't have the ability to actually become a student of a teacher if they don't have one at that moment very easily stop right then and there nothing further up to there and nothing more well understandably so isn't it if terror arises and there's nobody there to say look this is great just keep going then the natural inclination is to recede from that position to get away from it and have nothing more to do with it which is our natural inclination at that point it's absolutely essential that one can ask a teacher and discuss it because first of all that what one has discussed is no longer so frightening one can see that it is when the teacher explains it natural quite all right it's one step on the inside path to be scared why not what and who is scared the ego of course the ego is in danger of being eliminated and since that's exactly what we don't want although we think we do because by that time we must have heard enough dhamma and done enough meditation to recognize that the ego is a troublemaker so we think would be quite nice to get rid of it when it comes to the point of facing that moment nothing doing the ego says i'm here to stay you've made a mistake i'm going to <laughs> i'm going to really dig myself in now and i'm going to use every measure at my disposal to make you afraid of what you're doing and the terror can be quite real not only real but quite massive the ego is well entrenched it has been sitting in there lifetime after lifetime in the psyche and we have been feeding it with everything it needs constantly with all our cravings and all our clinging the whole support system everything we've built up around ourselves has been feeding the illusion of the ego so to really face this reality that it's possible that it's now going to break up and disappear is a very difficult one a very difficult position and this the terror which comes from that is nothing other then trying to get away from that position so that the ego can have its peace and quiet again and just continue the way it always has making its usual um, difficulties for everybody but at least we are back where we were you know the status quo has been retained nothing has changed it's all been a bad dream you know 
who wants to go to meditation, meditation courses anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's that fancy idea that people get. And then all this happens. So this is not uncommon. In fact, the people who get away without it, without this terror, are only those who by that time have been able to in, um, fortify the meditative absorptions so strongly that that is the compensation. Now, obviously, a person who has insight realizes that the meditative absorptions aren't uh, permanent either and are not fully satisfying, but they have been, support, they have been um, fortified so well that the mind is no longer in the position of um, wavering. It knows its path and it keeps going. But that's the only kind of person where it has been that well established that the terror does not arise. Even if the meditative absorptions have been learned to some extent and are being practiced to some extent, the mind is still wavering because it still hasn't got that complete solidity of being utterly peaceful in the uh, deepest peacefulness as possible and therefore it can still be shaken. And then when we ha then we have this um, whole Pandora's box opened and the resistance can set in to the whole practice. At that moment, many things can happen. So one is that one starts hating the teacher, a very popular pastime, very, uh, very uh, not uncommon at all because it's all the teacher's fault. If he or she hadn't opened her mouth, not, none of this would have happened. You know, everything would be perfectly all right. We remember, huh? <laughs> and the other thing that happens is one hates the practice. And what kind of silly business is this to do this? I mean, why should one get oneself into such a state where it was totally unnecessary? One could have been having a lovely time at the beach instead. So the practice stops or changes completely. That's also very common. Why do people go from one thing to the next? That point is reached and then something else where one can start all over again and it might take another five, six, seven or eight years till one comes to the terror again. And by that time one might be too old to do anything about it or one finds somebody else again. So all these things happen again and again. And they're very natural. There's no blame involved in this. This is the way it happens because there is this difficulty within us to accept things the way they are. It's very difficult, very difficult to be lying on one's deathbed and say, huh, I'm dying, well, goodbye. <laughs> to accept things the way they are, it isn't easy. One does need a lot of practice for that. So when we have this um, happening, now this can happen the terror can really only happen when the mind has seen this dissolution, this disintegration of that what we like. Now, the rising and ceasing, the impermanence, which is covered over by continuity, then opens itself up as um, something that is quite obvious. Everything comes, everything goes. Well, the mind can still handle that. It's okay. Since it all goes, it's coming back again, it's fine. You know, no problem. But when the moment comes, when the mind sees only everything falling apart, it's all disintegrating. There is nothing to hang on to. If you think for a moment, what is there to hang on to? Anything? The mind sees it. There's nothing going on to. That is the moment when this arises, this fear. And the fear 
is particularly um, supported by the fact that it seems to make a total shambles of everything that we have ever thought and tried to achieve. It makes a total nonsense out of it all. Now, a person who is able at that time to look at him or herself and smile won't have the terror. But most people can't take themselves in that respect. Everybody takes themselves extremely seriously. If we have stopped taking ourselves seriously and can see ourselves as the human beings that we are, making one mistake after another, then we can smile and say, well, I've finally seen it. But most people can't do that. And then they are faced with almost, one could say, a brick wall. Then it needs a fair bit of talking to by the teacher or by oneself or by both, preferably, to say, look, this is fine. Keep going. This is the truth. It's all falling apart. Who are you going to be when you're lying in your grave? And actually, who are you from moment to moment? Just keep going. Everything is fine. Now, when we are able to go through the terror, and we have to go through it in a meditative position most likely, not just logically like I'm explaining it, but actually in the meditation, when it arises, not to uh, run away from it, but to stay with it and go through it. Then we come to the moment of the practice when there is little likelihood that we're going to fall off the path again. We can fall off any time. But up to then, it's constantly um, a hit or miss method up to that moment. Sometimes I see it, sometimes I don't. You know, like those uh, pictures that they have for children. They have a cow in the middle of a tree and, and you see pre- uh, the face of the cow and then you can't see it again. It's all hidden in this tree. So sometimes you can see why you should practice and other times you can't see a thing of why you should practice. I mean, there's no reason. Why not go to the movies? What sense is there in this? So, but now, having gone through the terror, then it is the moment when the understanding dawns that there is really nothing else that is important. When that comes, naturally, the practice speeds up. Not that we get, that we get speedy, I don't mean that. <laughs> but we actually do it. And we do it with a bit of um, what I usually call oomph behind it not just sitting there and waiting for things to happen, but we actually deliberately put the mind in that direction. And the first thing that we know, the next step on this inside path, is danger. The danger that exists in existence. We are constantly in danger, not just in danger of dying. Obviously, we're constantly in danger of dying, but we don't really want to know about that. But we are constantly in danger of making bad karma. But as long as we are not totally consolidated in our mind on the, um, with the Nibbanic experience behind us, bad karma can be made at any time. Nobody who's not at least a non-returner is always mindful. There's always a danger of doing something wrong. And by that time, we have finally understood that making bad karma, that means doing something which is unwholesome, is like a boomerang. It's very fitting in Australia, isn't it? should remember that. comes right back at oneself. One of those at work. There's nothing else about doing something wrong except that it hits oneself. Now, that's one of the dangers. And because this is a grave danger, something arises in the mind which in Pali is called samvega, 
a very important aspect of mind it's urgency do it now there's no time to lose there's nothing other that's important except to come to the point of recognizing and then actually being the Dhamma everything else is dangerous with that urgency in mind we really practice we don't wait for tomorrow we don't wait for when it's hot or when it's cool or when it's nice or when it's pleasant or when somebody comes along and gives a course we just do it and this uh, danger of making bad karma also has the uh, the content that we see that all existence is dangerous there is nowhere a safe spot now you can examine that and find out if you can find a safe spot as I said before let me know if you do danger means safety is a myth it's very funny actually Um, people spend lots of money on insurance policies it's supposed to keep us safe safe from what? can't possibly keep us safe there's nowhere in the world in the whole of existence never mind this globe anywhere where things don't fall apart everything falls apart so we're seeing that we also lose our resistance to that law of nature and by losing our resistance to that law of nature because until then we've been resisting that strenuously we don't we say oh yes yes of course that's the way it is but inside we say oh why think of such things don't you see the beautiful sunrise and the beautiful sunset and aren't the flowers nice and the children so sweet and isn't it nice to be around and have a nice cup of coffee let's just forget about all that other stuff we're resisting it strenuously we don't want to know about this law of nature but at that time we stop resisting and because we stop resisting our dukkha is already diminished at least 80% only as long as we don't want to see it we have dukkha because when we don't want to see it and it of course arises all the time we have this attitude of either trying to fool ourselves trying to get away from it or becoming unhappy about it and all of those have no peace within them but in the moment we accept and this is the point where we accept this that everything is falling apart there is no safe spot anywhere all existence is dangerous we can always make bad karma when we accept that fully there is nothing that makes us unhappy that's the way it is now it is very important to check that out for oneself that dukkha only arises when one doesn't accept things the way they are and one wants them otherwise and everybody needs to check that out for themselves because it does go completely against our ordinary instincts of getting out of dukkha we think if we can get out of dukkha by pretending it isn't there and momentarily we are then successful but very momentarily but the moment we accept it fully and see that nothing is the way we'd like it to be then it's okay that's the way it is it's a universal fact it's not a personal monopoly and the moment we see it as a universal fact and not as a personal tragedy or a personal difficulty the whole thing becomes just part of the universe that doesn't really bother us the universe is isn't it is anybody bothered by it that it's constantly contracting and expanding does it make any difference to anybody anybody even thinking about it well it's the same with dukkha it is so what's there to be bothered about but it does have one effect and that's the urgency to do something 
Now, with that urgency to do something about it comes another factor, a very interesting one. And I must insert here that although these steps are listed in that order, they don't always happen in that order. But often they do, but not always. And the next thing that happens now when we have seen the uh, danger in existence have become, have seen the urgency of practice, there comes the de this um, strong determination to get out of existence. Now that doesn't mean uh, suicide by any means, because suicide is right within existence. Out of existence uh, means nothing other than Nibbana. It means liberation, freedom. And out of means because it doesn't have the connotation of a personal existence. Now that arises out of all those factors, terror, danger, urgency, and the understanding, no safe place. That's just the way it is. And then with the urgency to practice comes that wish, that determination. Now that determination then, of course, makes continual and um, diligent practice possible. Without that, diligent practice is uh, a hope and a prayer and they don't usually come to anything. But with that understanding, then the practice becomes a priority. And practice, we already know what practice means, don't we? It doesn't just mean sitting with crossed legs on a little pillow. That's only one part of it. It's a necessary part, but it's only one part. And if we have seen that, then we have the pathway open. Because at that, mo from at that moment, we could say, we have seen things as they really are. We have left behind our wishful thinking and colorful glasses that color everything into acceptable shades and hues which look nice, and we have looked into the actuality of what it means to be a human being. We don't kid ourselves any longer. And again, this does not mean that now we are totally unhappy, sad, worried, because we have seen that there is nothing to be gained in being a human being. On the contrary, we have already shed some of the burden. The burden we carry around constantly is the burden of trying to make nice what cannot be made nice. It's just not possible. We're trying to make it so as if it were. We're constantly um, concerned with play-acting, actually. And most people never get over it. We have this all embedded even in our language. Somebody asks us, how are you? We invariably say, fine, thank you, and how are you? I mean, anybody ever say anything else? I have made it a point sometimes, when it was the truth, obviously, only saying, I feel terrible, how are you? <laughs> but I have to also remember to do that, because the, the first inclination is to say, fine, how are you? You know, it's, it shows that we're play-acting. And most people are not only play-acting in this way, they're play-acting all the time. It's just too awful to look at, they think, how it really is. But it isn't. It's only awful if we don't like it. The minute we like it and accept it and say, well, that's the way it is, there's nothing awful about it. It just is. And if we were to look at history just in this century, no further, just this century, 
and look what's been going on on this little globe and that's the way it's been and that's the way it is this minute maybe we'd stop play acting and accept it the way it is it isn't worth even considering to continue this but most people don't want to know about it they will think it's somebody else doing it now having got to this point we could say that we have arrived at a watershed because we see things as they really are and this is this uh, word which I have already mentioned before the knowledge and vision of things as they really are the knowledge which arises out of the information but then becomes knowledge because we can actually remember it and then the vision of this inner seeing not outside visions but the inner seeing and then arises something which is the first step into leaving all dukkha behind and it's called in English disenchantment in uh, Pali Nibida and it's the first step which is the, the st- where the strength of the practice makes itself felt we can look at the world with all its beautiful sunrises and sunsets with all the lovely flowers and eucalyptus trees with all the cute kids that are going to suffer one going to have dukkha with all the nice beaches whatever it is that we want to look at and nothing is going to pull us out of the practice anymore nothing can pull us so strong that it actually promises satisfaction nothing doesn't matter what it is Brahms symphony or whatever I don't care what it is whatever it is that we are really caring for nothing can pull us there anymore we recognize the fact that it exists we recognize the fact that it has a pleasant sensation in the wake of the sense consciousness seeing or hearing and that's it finished or tasting, touching, smelling, thinking and that's all in other words it is an automatic immediate response that while it creates pleasant feeling and there's no doubt about it that it does that's not worth stopping one's practice that's not worth existing for now as long as we think it's worth existing for of course it's a priority when we no longer think it's worth existing for because we have seen that not only does it come and go but it disintegrates completely we can't keep hearing the same thing we can't keep seeing the same thing and the mind will not always respond in the same way to the same sense of consciousness as long as we as soon as we have seen that as it is then the disenchantment is real it doesn't mean that we won't have any pleasant sensations we'll just have just as many as before they are automatic unpleasant and pleasant and neutral that come from the sense consciousness they all come and they all go just as before but they don't pull us anymore they don't pull us anymore to try and keep them and they don't pull us anymore to want to renew them when they come they come and when they go they go what else that's all there is isn't it when they come they come and when they go they go that's life isn't it but we don't like that we want it entirely different we want that what comes and is pleasant to stay and we want that what goes that's unpleasant to go forever does that show how foolish we, we act and that's not an indictment that's a cause for amusement if we can't laugh about our own foolishness then we haven't really seen it in all its grandeur that yet it's amazing so then having this 
ability to accept the pleasant, pleasant things and the unpleasant things just the way they are and not being pulled by them we will also be quite aware of the temptation which arises again and again because disenchantment only becomes complete for the non-returner one step before our hand but at least we've got enough not to be deterred from the practice and we will see all the things that we are so concerned about and all the people that we are clinging to in the same light everything is coming everything is going and that's fine that's the way it is but it isn't worth to have one's time and energy spent in making it different because we won't win anyway so the disenchantment while it will not be complete makes it at least possible to practice that's the time when practice becomes real we have passed the point of no return there is now impossible to stop that's the time when it is absolutely impossible to give it away we may try because there's no enlightenment at that time we may try to stop but we'll always do it again and again until then the whole thing is well if it's more than a hobby it may be actually a chore to practice or it may be an, a feeling of duty but then from then on it is a joy to be able to do that the only thing that promises anything this is then the only thing that promises anything because the disenchantment with the world has become strong enough to show us that it offers nothing it offers fool's gold it glitters and has absolutely no value you know that fool's gold that they find when they're panning for gold looks just like gold but when they take it to their sayer it's not worth a penny it just glitters and that's what the world does it glitters and it promises and promises and promises and it says now if you just do it right look at everything that's available there's all this money there's all these beautiful scenery and there are all these lovely women or handsome men and there's all this knowledge and there are all these universities there are all these scientists and there are all these motor cars and there are all these sailboats and whatever it is anybody wants it's all there and what happens? let's say you get the whole thing and then what? what do you do with it all? go once around the world and twice around the world and three times around and then what? the, the silly thing is around you always end up at the same place again I've tried it's always in a circle there's nothing there it all looks very nice and we also of course are very capable of painting it all very pretty when I was a kid motor cars were still more of a rarity than they are nowadays and there were two colors gray and black now look at what we got now <laughs> and there were three kinds of ice cream vanilla chocolate and strawberry and of course we, we had to change that too you know one day chocolate and one day strawberry and one day vanilla and then I start again but look at it now as a place that has 33 kinds now and I think there are places that have even more but I know there's one that's, that has an advertisement outside three, 33 kinds of ice cream so we are able to do this because we feel that that's going to do it for us but only when we have practiced long enough to see 
33 kinds, 99 kinds, it doesn't matter. None of it has any real satisfaction within it. Now, the lack of satisfaction that we get is the insight into Dukkha. And Dukkha is successfully covered over, over through change. Now you can notice that in the sitting position. If it hurts, change the position, no dukkha. Now obviously at times that's necessary. There's a pain threshold that one can, however, enlarge, but anyway, that's not what we're really here for. We're here to gain insight. So change covers over dukkha. We can't stand the relationship we have, so we get a new partner. Simple, isn't it, nowadays? used to be a little more difficult, but still people were doing it then too. So we don't like the country we live in, <clears throat> so we go somewhere else. Change. Changing from one thing to the next. That is the hiding of Dukkha. As I said, continuity hides impermanence. And because it's somewhat hidden, and because our ego doesn't really want to have all this impact on it, where it finally one day will have to let go of us, we don't look. Non- Self or corelessness is hidden through compactness, solidity. This compact business here, that's me. Who else? Not you, is it? Must be me. Gotta be somebody. Because it's compact. But not only this is compact, this body. No, the thought that we think has the appearance of being something. And that it's already finished, that thought. We don't even give any attention to that. All the things that happen have a certain solid appearance to us. Not only materiality, that looks very solid. But also mind seems to be, there seems to be something. So this covers over our understanding of the substancelessness. Now the person who is very analytically inclined likes to investigate the non-self, the substancelessness. But it doesn't matter because we can investigate any of those three and come to exactly the same result. Now, a person who uh, has a great deal of concentration likes to investigate dukkha because a good concentration makes it possible to look at dukkha objectively. Again, that changes also from one month to the next, which one one likes to investigate, or even from one sitting to the next. But this is usually uh, some, a generality. And a person who has some confidence in the Buddha's teaching will automatically investigate impermanence. And it doesn't have to be just confidence in Buddha's teaching because anybody with a little bit of sense can see that impermanence has some validity. There's something about it that one should know. So one has confidence in one's own intelligence also. Whichever one, it doesn't matter. But having come to this point of disenchantment, this investigation is automatic. Everything we see has one of those three characteristics. We know it without even having to look for it. The nicest thing we see, hear, taste, touch, or smell, has that in it. Now that doesn't mean that we automatically now are enlightened and everything is fine. This is a step on the path 
one step of their practice. Disenchantment arises because of that, because we are automatically seeing one of those three characteristics. And when we have seen, when we have disenchantment, we automatically see one of the three characteristics. Both work together. And if we actually make it a point to, to know that this is where we want to go, we will, not automatically, but through effort, try to see one of those three if we haven't got to the disenchantment stage yet. The disenchantment stage has a great deal to say for itself. It's very, very um, favorable for one's peace of mind because it prevents a lot of disasters. Not because we have made up our mind to be renunciates. If one is disenchanted, one doesn't want things. They don't have the pull that they used to have. Everything that is available in the world, everything, bar none, is seen for what it is. Not solid, not satisfying, not remaining. And because of that, it doesn't have that, it isn't worthwhile to expend a lot of energy trying to get it. If it falls in one's lap, one says thank you and is grateful. But again, the exhilaration that might have happened earlier because one got something that one thinks is very nice, whatever it may be, fame or fortune, also doesn't happen. So the mind is far more even and therefore not indifferent, not lazy, but even in the face of whatever happens. And therefore a lot of the fear of annihilation is gone already at this stage. Continuation tomorrow. So, if you have any questions. Was it number seven of the uh, Disenchantment, yes, it must be number seven. I, I, I didn't count. Yeah. Is it? No, it's not, it's number eight. Number six is terror, number seven is danger, number eight is disenchantment. Which, which one did you miss out? Number five is dissolution, disintegration. Got it? Yeah. What's wrong with your pen? I don't know. It didn't like the jet trip. <laughs> Some pens can't stand to go on airplanes. Yeah. yeah. So that, that shouldn't happen. Sorry? <laughs> Sorry? No, he didn't. Number five, a dissolution, disintegration. Ah, was ist das? Alles fällt auseinander. Auseinanderfahren, auseinander kaputt gehen. Erst sieht man das äh, Kommen und Gehen und das ist der Moment, wo man nur das Verschwinden sieht. Mm. No, is the book keeping all right or something else missing? Yeah, no? Missing Mind and matter distinction. Yeah. Second one, arise and cease. Yeah. Three, cause and condition. Yeah. Four, external and internal impermanence. <laughs> which is the transformation that we see spontaneously the external and internal impermanence spontaneously which is the transformation that we see we see everything changes and then we see the dissolution this is inter in disintegration 
first we have to watch number two we have to watch for this arise and cease and number four it's spontaneous okay that's the difference and then five is dissolution six is terror seven is danger eight is disenchantment goes all the way to number 13 okay ah that was missing okay and number four usually has with it also the continuity change and compactness which cover over the three which cover over Anicca and Dukkanata yes but with the disenchantment there's the next not the immediately the, the number nine is actually desire for deliverance I put it earlier but disenchantment comes first and then desire for deliverance but I turned it around because it sometimes comes first so anyway at the moment it must be number eight right disenchantment okay good <laughs> It's fine when it's all written down nicely, but then it also needs to happen. Huh? <laughs> so, any any question, anything? Please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments. Now take a look into your inner household and see whether there are any guests whose names are worry, grief, rejection, doubt, fear. And if so, ask them politely to leave the house. Because tonight you're going to celebrate with your friends joy, compassion, and loving kindness. So show them out and let your friends joy, compassion and loving kindness enter your house. Fill and surround yourself with these supreme emotions. Now think of the person sitting next to you. Invite him or her to join this party. To celebrate with you loving kindness, joy, compassion. Now fill and surround 
all the people here with these feelings. Let all the people share in this celebration. Fill and surround each other with joy, with loving kindness. Think of your parents, whether they're alive or not. Show them your gratitude and invite them to this celebration. Give them your compassion. and let them participate in loving kindness. Think of the people dearest to you. Open your heart. Invite them to join the celebration. And don't ask anything in return. Share all the loving kindness you have. Think of your friends, relatives, relations, your neighbors, people you work with, people you meet every day, and let them all come to this party of celebration of joy of loving kindness There might be a person whom you don't consider a friend at this moment. Open your heart towards this person and thank him for being your teacher who teaches you something about your reactions.
invite him to. Let him celebrate in the joy. Think of the people who are not as so fortunate as we are at this moment. People in prisons, in hospitals, people who have to fight in wars. Give them your compassion and fill and surround them with loving kindness. Think of the people near and far. The people in this building looking after us so well. People in the villages. The cities. Invite them all to come and share joy and loving kindness. Picture as many people as you can. People in this continent, overseas, and make the party huge. See the joy and the loving kindness on the faces of all these people. Now put your attention back on yourself. Feel the warmth, the loving kindness and the joy still surrounding you. Feel it in your heart and keep it there.
keep it so that you can share it. May all beings have compassion for each other.